Just a quick update before we begin. Thanks to Audible, History of the Marine Corps could give you a free audiobook. Audible is known for its tens of thousands of selections, and I use it all the time for myself and for some of the reference material we use on the show. In the spirit of transparency, History of the Marine Corps receives a kickback for everyone who signs up, but the author or the publisher does not sponsor me. Every recommendation is a book I have personally read or listened to. I'll include my suggestion at the end of this episode, but don't feel obligated to select my recommendation. This offer is available to any of the tens of thousands of audiobooks offered by Audible, and whether you decide to continue your membership, this book is yours to keep, forever. Visit audibletrial.com slash marinehistory for a free audiobook and a free 30-day trial. Now on to the show. Welcome to episode 88 of History of the Marine Corps. The Battle of Bella Wood, Part 2. Our last episode introduced the Battle of Bella Wood. We followed the Marines as they arrived in France and discussed some of the training and assignments given to them in 1917. Heading into 1918, we covered events leading up to the famous battle, including Germany's Spring Offensive and some of the first engagements U.S. Marines had with German troops. This episode digs into the actual battle. We break down the position and strength of Marines and German forces at Belleau Wood and many of the challenges U.S. forces faced during that battle. We end the episode by reviewing a few statistics and address the elephant in the room about the Marines' famed Devil Dog nickname. Thanks for joining. Now let's talk about the history of the Marine Corps. The Germans held a solid position at Lucy, and the French Corps directed measures to reduce the salient. The Marines were assigned the sector at Bella Wood, and Harbord ordered his plan to start at 1700. The 3rd Battalion, 5th Marines, were to attack east on a mile front and capture everything but the southern end of Bella Wood. The 3rd Battalion, 6th Marines, commanded by Major Sibley, would attack east and capture the southern end and the town of Beresh. The two battalions occupied a new front extending from the northeast edge of Bella Wood towards the ridge south of Torcy. 1-5 was on the far left side of the brigade, and they were ordered to adapt to 3-5's movement. 2-6 would support Sibley's battalion and adjust to his movements as well. The Marines were going up against the Germans' 461st Infantry Regiment consisting of 28 officers and 1,141 enlisted. They were also bringing in additional support from the rear. The German troops had two battalions organized for defense, and a protective artillery barrage was aimed at the Marines. The United States had no information on the strength of the German military. Catlin stated, quote, No one knows how many Germans were in those woods. I have seen the estimate placed at a thousand, but there were certainly more than that. It had been impossible to get patrols into the woods, but we knew they were full of machine guns and that the enemy had trench mortars there. Sibley and Betty had a thousand men each, but only half of these could be used for the first rush. And as Barry's position was problematical, 
It was Sibley's stupendous task to lead his 500 through the southern end of the wood and to clear the eastern border if the attack was not to be a total failure. Even to a Marine, it seemed like hardly enough men. Unquote. The attack started on time and began with 30 minutes of artillery fire from the U.S. Army and French troops. When it was time for the Marines to advance, quote, the attackers jumped off more or less as scheduled with the shrilling of many officers and NCO's whistles on the heels of the ineffective bombardment, unquote. Berry's and Sibley's assaulting battalions led the charge in four skirmishes. During the Battle of Gettysburg, Confederate General Robert E. Lee launched his famous Pickett's Charge against Union forces. The assault called for 12,000 Confederate troops to cross a mile of open field to reach the Union soldiers. Major General Meade saw Lee's attack coming, and he positioned more than 20,000 troops in the center line. He placed additional soldiers to flank the Confederates' advance, effectively capturing them in a pincer. This battle was by far Robert E. Lee's most significant defeat. Thousands of men were lost, and only a few hundred reached their target out of 12,000 charging Confederate troops. The ones who did were instantly surrounded by Union forces and either killed or captured. Many of those who witnessed the Battle of Bellow Wood claim that the two battlefronts were remarkably similar. Barry's Marines had to cross 350 meters of open wheat field to reach the Germans. And just like Union forces at Gettysburg, the Germans were positioned on the front lines, with machine guns and troops on the flanks prepared to encircle Marines. As soon as the assaulting battalions charged, German machine guns fired and began cutting them down. A war correspondent from the Chicago Tribune, Floyd Gibbons, was at Bella Woods, and he described the air as, quote, being full of red-hot nails, unquote. Machine guns and artillery quickly split up the organized formations, and the Marines hit the deck. They adapted, spread out, and began to attack in smaller groups. Gibbons reported, quote, Sometimes a squad would run forward 50 feet and drop, and as its members flattened on the ground for safety, another squad would rise from the ground and make another rush, unquote. This simple strategy is still practiced today in the Corps. Marines know it as, I'm up, they see me, I'm down. The Marines advanced a quarter of a kilometer but still had another hundred meters to the edge of the woods. As they got closer to their target, German defenses got stronger. Casualties started to grow. And Barry was included in those losses, and a bullet traveled from his elbow down to his forearm. But despite the severe pain, he continued to fight. Gibbon saw Barry bleeding and he tried to move towards him. While he was crawling to the Marine, Gibbons was shot three times. Quote, A bullet striking the ground immediately under my left cheekbone had ricocheted upward, going completely through the left eye, and then crashing out through my forehead, leaving the eyeball and upper eyelid completely halved, and a compound fracture of the skull. Unquote. The Germans' defense destroyed Marines, and their line started to fail. Gunnery Sergeant Dan Daly rose from the failing ranks and shouted another famous Marine quote that has echoed through the years. Come on, you sons of bitches. Do you want to live forever? Major Barry and a few of his Marines continued the charge and reached the edge of the woods. 
They fought hand-to-hand with the Germans on the line and bayoneted the machine gunners. On the other side was Sibley's battalion. Catlin described their advance as the most beautiful sight he has ever saw. Quote, The battalion pivoted on its right, the left sweeping across the open ground in four waves, as steadily and correctly as though on parade. There were two companies of them, deployed in four skirmish lines. The men were placed five yards apart, and the waves 15 to 20 yards behind each other. They walked at the regulation pace, because a man is of little use in a hand-to-hand bayonet struggle after a hundred-yard dash. Oh, it took courage and steady nerve to do that in the face of the enemy's machine gun fire. In this frame of mind, the soldier can perhaps walk with even more coolness and determination than he could run. Sibley's Marines first encountered a part of the woods lightly held by Germans. The Marines were able to progress past the initial force, but soon ran into the main line of resistance set further back in the woods. The left of Sibley's battalion was stopped in its tracks, while the right side swung forward, successfully capturing the southwestern corner of the woods. But there were a lot of losses. First Lieutenant Alfred Noble, commander of the 83rd Company in Sibley's battalion, summed it up in a single sentence, quote, We went in barehanded, and we got slaughtered, unquote. Catlin watched the battle play out through his field glasses. As soon as Sibley's battalion reached their target, a sniper shot him in the chest. The bullet hit his right lung and knocked him down. Catlin didn't feel pain, but his right side was paralyzed. He was dragged off the field by his French liaison officer. He sent a runner back to headquarters to inform them of his situation and to bring up his executive officer, Lieutenant Colonel Harry Lee. When Lee arrived, Catlin turned over his command. This was only the first day of battle, and the casualties were immense. The Marines had 31 officers and 1,056 enlisted either killed, wounded, or missing. This single day was the most significant loss the Marine Corps had ever suffered during any battle they fought in history. Barry and three other company commanders were wounded as well. Captain Duncan, of the 96th Company was killed. Lieutenant Cates of the same company wrote to his mother about that day, quote, At 4.35 p.m., we received word that we were to move into position and to attack a certain town at 5 p.m. We moved across an open field and stopped in a small wood and my platoon was in a wheat field. The Bosch machine guns and artillery had opened up on us and it was some party. At a certain time and signal, we got up and swept over a ground literally covered with machine gun bullets. It was my first charge, and mother, it was a wonderful thrill to be out there in front of a bunch of men that will follow you to death. A lot of men went down, most of them only wounded, but a few dead. About three-fourths of the way over, a bullet hit me solid. It knocked me cold, but it didn't go through my helmet." When he regained consciousness, he had difficulty placing the helmet back on his head due to the significant dent. Kate saw three Marines in a ravine and rushed towards them, but he was still wobbly from the concussion and fell multiple times. Sergeant Aloysius Sheridan saw him and pulled out a bottle of champagne that he was keeping for a special occasion. The Marine opened it up and started to pour it on Kate's head, trying to speed up his recovery. 
Cates told Sheridan that he would rather drink it instead of it wasted on his head. He took a big swig and felt much better. It's probably the most Marine thing I've ever heard. Floyd Gibbons, with his left eye being shot out, was out of the war too. He sent his story back to Paris, depicting the Marines' actions that day, and it went viral. Everyone assumed Gibbons was killed in battle. The chief censor at the American Expeditionary Forces, who was a friend of Gibbons, released his article with little to no review. Gibbons' exuberant writing style focused on the heroic tales of the Marines. The Marines were phenomenal that day. They did most of the work and absolutely deserved the recognition, but they weren't there alone. The U.S. Army also fought at Bella Wood. Naturally, the U.S. Army was pissed off that the Marines received all the attention, and two decades after the battle, Major General Harbord wrote that Gibbon's article, quote, lit fires of professional jealousy that still smolder, unquote. On June 7th, both sides prepared for another attack. The Germans relieved the flanking divisions of the 237th, which was holding the position in the woods. They moved more troops towards Sibley's battalion, holding the southwestern corner. During the night, U.S. artillery bombarded the Germans, and at 0400, Sibley tried to advance his line north, but his attempts were stopped by flanking enemy machine guns. He withdrew from the southern edge of Bella Wood and moved into a ravine south, so artillery could focus their attention on the front lines. This time, U.S. artillery was effective, and after they dropped the few shells, platoons were sent to attack German troops and machine gun nests. The Marines slowly picked off German positions, and they weakened their defenses. In one case, a 58-man platoon, commanded by Lieutenant Graves Erskine, captured a German machine gun operated by a single man. Erskine took him as a prisoner. The German refused to give up his rifle, reached over to Erskine's canteen, pulled it from his pouch, and began to drink from it. Erskine was annoyed by his behavior and sent him to the rear, escorted by one of his Marines. The Marine came back pretty quick, and Erskine accused him of shooting the prisoner. The Marine admitted that he did, and after being asked why, he replied, quote, I can't go back to Minnesota and tell them I didn't kill a German, unquote. For the next few days, Marines rushed the Germans' machine guns. Marine Major Cole, the machine gun battalion commander, performed courageously that day. He was constantly on the move directing fire, and supporting the infantry's attacks. When platoon and squad leaders were killed or injured and could no longer serve, Cole stepped up and took charge of their unit. A grenade exploded at his feet during one of his raids, and fragments went through his arms, legs, and face. His brother, a brigadier general in the army, wrote home, quote, He lost a tremendous amount of blood and was twice transfused, unquote. Major Cole died eight days later, and the Marines took it hard. The Corps made plans for another controlled attack to clear the entire woods. However, this decision was based on faulty intelligence, and Marines assumed that they had the whole lower half in their possession. They did not. The main infantry attack was by the 2nd Battalion, 5th Marines, on the morning of June 11th. Combined with a battalion from the 6th, the Marines advanced, 
and drove the 28th Division from the southern part of the woods. The Germans lost close to 800 men. They attempted to regain their position the following day, but were repulsed by the Marines. The Corps lost 7 officers and 222 enlisted during this engagement. The United States now controlled the southern part of the woods. Major Frederick Weiss, battalion commander of 2-5, wanted to proceed and capture the North End quickly. Two companies of engineers were sent to reinforce him, and after a day of artillery fire, they advanced at 1700. Artillery support had difficulty penetrating through the thick trees, and the German main line of resistance was still intact. They were also positioned further south than anticipated. When Weiss's men hit the German defense, they were taken by surprise, driven back, and broken up into smaller groups. They lost all organization. Marines quickly adapted, and small unit leaders started to step up and independently move forward, eliminating German machine gun teams in the process. The Marines pushed through the main line and caused a lot of chaos. They went through the northeastern edge and finally rested at 2040. A battalion of German 110th Grenadiers coming in from the rear was driven off, and only a small part of the 461st Infantry Battalion held the northwest position of the woods, taking cover behind some large boulders. While the Marines rested for the night, a German officer and 42 men came to their camp under a white flag. They claimed the Germans planned a counterattack early the following day. Weiss used this opportunity to reposition his Marines. His left flank was badly exposed, and he bent it back through the woods and formed what is famously known as the Hook. The Marines had a reduced force, and Weiss was down to 300 Marines. Hughes had 700. The predicted German counterattack came right on schedule at 4 a.m. On the 13th, the Germans bombarded the eastern edge of the woods and stretched into Boresh. They dropped about one shell per minute. In a letter home to his mother and sister, Cates wrote, quote, I am sitting here writing on a dining room table and trusting a shell doesn't hit near. I am pretty well worn out. I have only had four hours of sleep the last four days. We are to be relieved soon. I lost 32 men out of my platoon of 56, only two or three dead, the others wounded, most of them slightly. I am very proud of my men, and they deserve a lot of credit. Unquote. Wise's battalion was one-third of its original size after losing 615 enlisted and 19 officers. Gases were heavily used on 1-6 on the front lines, and they suffered 450 casualties from gas attacks alone. The Germans were in rough shape as well, and although Marines thought their strength was significantly higher, the once 3,200-strong German force was cut by more than half with 47 officers and 1,482 enlisted remaining. Marines were exhausted. They had been fighting for days. Both German and U.S. forces used this opportunity to get fresh troops on the battlefield. 2-6 was attempting to relieve Weiss's battalion but they were hit with a gas attack on their way. The damage caused so many casualties that 2-6 did not have enough men to relieve Weiss. The 23rd Infantry relieved the Marines at Buresh 
and 3-6 was positioned on the line at the far left flank of the brigade sector. A French division moved in to relieve the Marines, and the 7th Infantry of the American 3rd Division came to the front lines on June 15th, but Pershing only allowed them to stay for a week. 2,800 troops were provided for this reorganization. They were also given any equipment needed to hold the line. The Germans were ordered to defend in depth, and positioned one battalion on the line, one in support, and one in reserve. The Marines immediately got to work on the barbed wire, and the U.S. Army battalions on the flanks served on patrols and gathered intelligence for the upcoming events. For the next week, the Marines tested the German defenses but didn't make it far. The 7th Infantry was doing a phenomenal job holding the line. They were able to defend, resist the Germans' advance, and give Marines the much-needed time to recuperate. But time was running out, and the one week Pershing made reinforcements available was close to an end. By this time in the war, there were hundreds of U.S. and German bodies rotting away in the June sun, and they started to smell. Private James Hatcher recounts, quote, our next turn on the front lines was in position taken by our 5th Regiment on June 6th. Many of the dead still lay unburied upon the ground, and the place had a most horrible stench. A wheat field lay between us and the German positions, 200 yards distant. That wheat field was littered with German corpses. Unquote. The remaining objective was to move the last of the German forces out of the northern edge of Bella Wood. On the night of June 21st, 3-5, commanded by Major Shearer, took over the northern part of Bella Wood. The next night, 3-6 took over the line on the eastern edge, and 2-5, commanded by Major Ralph Kaiser, took the far left of the division. The attack started at 1900 on the 23rd. The Germans had skillfully positioned their machine guns. Every time a Marine captured a gun, the crew would flee, usually taking a piece of weapon with them, making it inoperable. The surrounding machine gun nests would focus on the captured gun, killing the Marines. By night, they suffered 104 casualties. Their plan failed, and the Marines didn't gain ground. Shearer sent a simple message to Harvard requesting artillery that stated, quote, Infantry alone cannot dislodge enemy guns. Unquote. The 2nd Field Artillery Brigade targeted heavy and light batteries at Bella Wood to compensate for the embedded German troops. They attacked for 14 hours. By 1700, on the 25th, artillery fired one last barrage that crept its way through the woods, and the Marines closely followed. Four and a half hours later, 3-5 Commander, Major Shearer, sent a message to General Harbord, quote, Bella Wood, now U.S. Marine Corps entirely, unquote. The Germans lost seven officers and 423 men that day, and the Marines now controlled Bella Wood. The commander of the U.S. 1st Division, Robert Lee Bullard, declared, quote, The Marines didn't win the war here, but they saved the Allies from defeat. Had they arrived a few hours later, I think that would have been the beginning of the end. France could not have stood the loss of Paris, unquote. On July 3rd, Cates was ordered to pick 20 men from his company 
and take them to Paris to participate during the July 4th parade. He tried to make them look halfway presentable, but admitted, quote, we still look like a bunch of bums, unquote. The entire capital celebrated the Marines' victory. The brigade at Bella Wood had the highest losses suffered by any American brigade during a single offensive operation in the World War. There were 4,000 casualties, 55% of their original strength. On June 30th, 1918, the French Sixth Army issued an order that renamed Bois de Bello to Bois de la Brigade de Marine. The Marine Brigade's victory at Bella Wood and the help by the U.S. Army cemented the United States forces' capabilities to its European allies. The 4th Brigade of Marines also garnered a lot of respect from the German Army. Before Bella Wood, their intelligence reports showed more contempt for the Marines but as the battle progressed, German reports were giving them the highest classification of battle efficiency and referred to them as shock troops. Colonel Ernst Otto of the German Army reported, quote, The 2nd Division had answered the question, how would the Americans act in a real battle? Unquote. Four medals of honor and 143 Navy crosses were awarded to Marines during the Battle of Belleau Wood. France also awarded the 5th and 6th regiments the French Forager for their heroic action. The Marine Corps still honors that award today, and Marines assigned to the 5th and 6th regiments have the honor to don the braided rope over their left shoulder. The Corps would also have four future commandants who fought during this battle, General Wendell Neville, General Thomas Holcomb, General Clifton Cates, and General Shepard. Now to address the elephant in the room. Marine Corps lore states that Marines fought so ferociously, German troops thought they were sent directly from hell. They referred to them as Teufelhundens, or devil dogs. Most likely, that never happened. I was devastated when I first heard the news, so I understand the anger some of you might be going through, and I will gladly be the target of your anger. For those of you who aren't familiar with the story, there are a few variations of it. One version is that a combat correspondent embedded with the Marines overheard the Germans using that phrase. A second version is that Marines captured communication messages with the word Teufelhunden in them. Another is that Marines overheard Germans shouting it at them. And the fourth is that German prisoners told the Marines while they were captured. I'll address these main four that I covered, but there are plenty more out there and each one of them has its flaws. So there was indeed a combat correspondent attached to the Marines, Floyd Gibbons, who we spoke about earlier. He never documented this in any of his writings. And as far as communications go, this term wasn't documented in any German correspondence. No records from the Germans at all ever mentioned Teufelhunden. The third is impossible to disprove. I can't say a Marine did or didn't hear something when fighting at Bella Wood, but the lack of evidence goes both ways. There aren't journal entries, recorded conversations, or letters from home that mention anything about it. Nothing. And the same applies to the German prisoners. It's hard to disprove a conversation, but there aren't any log entries or recorded conversations to prove that story either. But I understand that simply arguing the flaws of these four stories doesn't necessarily disprove the origin of the term devil dog. 
and I think I owe it to everyone listening to provide a little bit more information. So I remember the exact date I started to question the Devil Dog nickname. I just graduated from Marine Security Guard School, and I was assigned to a detachment in Brussels, Belgium, where we provided security for the U.S. embassies and the United States mission to NATO. I was there long enough to find a girlfriend, and of course I invited her to the Marine Corps Ball. She was German, and fluent in three other languages. During one of the speeches at the ball, someone gave a speech about the Battle of Bella Wood. I had a few whiskeys in me at the time, and I began to share the story with her. When I mentioned Teufelhunden, she was confused. She stated that that word didn't exist in German. I told her what it meant, and she described the proper way to pronounce Devil Dog in German. Now, I don't remember the correct pronunciation, but it wasn't what we learned in the core. At first, I didn't think too much of it. And to be honest, I still don't think much about this argument today. This is one of the most common reasons people tend to use when trying to disprove the Devil Dog legend. In my opinion, this is one of the weakest arguments one could use to debunk the story. If I were a young 18, 19, 20-year-old Marine and heard someone shouting at me in a foreign language, I wouldn't remember the correct way to pronounce it either and forget about spelling it. Almost six out of the eight years I was in the Corps were spent overseas, and I can't repeat crap. But this mispronunciation did get me on a path to look for more information. And I started to look into some of the weaker arguments. Another common argument you'll hear is the Germans didn't commonly use nicknames for their enemies. This is another one I take with a grain of salt. Didn't commonly use is different from never. The Germans didn't use nicknames frequently, but they did call U.S. troops Yankees. That is documented. But the more you dig into the story, the more holes you find. And the straw that broke the camel's back for me was two things. One, there isn't mention of Teufelhunden anywhere in the German documentation. Nowhere. No journal entries, battle reports, communications, letters home, newspaper clippings, nothing. It doesn't matter how you spell it, pronounce it, it's nowhere to be found. The second, and this is a big one, multiple U.S. newspapers used the nickname months before the Battle of Bella Wood ever happened. On the front page of their April 27, 1918 paper, the La Crosse Tribune has an article called Teufelhunden, German name for U.S. Marines after taste of scrap. I'll leave a copy on historyofthemarinecorps.com so you can take a look for yourself. You can also dig into the La Crosse Tribune's archives. It's still there. So what does this all mean? The multiple newspaper articles released two months before Bella Wood even took place, pretty damn strong evidence that Marines didn't earn their nickname at the Battle of Bella Wood. But that doesn't mean Marines never were called Devil Dogs. A journal entry from German Lieutenant Tillman, who served with the German 14th Regiment, 28th Division at Bella Woods, stated, quote, June 9th through 10th, the worst night of my life. I am lying in a thick wood on an open height in little holes behind rocks, for there is certainly heavy artillery fire, until 6 o'clock in the morning. It is a wonder that the fellow was all at their post when the Americans attacked. The attack, thank God, was repulsed. God has mercifully preserved me. They fight like devils. Unquote. 
Early papers do give a source, and the La Crosse Tribune states, quote, United States Marines and Service in France are proud of the title Teufelhunden, or Devil Dogs, conferred upon them by the Germans. According to the letters received at Marine Corps recruiting headquarters here from overseas, the name, the letter says, saves the soldiers of the sea from selecting a substitute for the unfavored Sammy. Unquote. Sammy was the nickname given to U.S. troops and came from the famous recruiting poster of Uncle Sam. The French even called us Les Samis. There are some fun articles in this paper, like a 40 acre farm going for $4,800 and an article on how to get rid of bad breath with Dr. Edwards' olive tablets. This article may be the story's origin, and the archives for the Marine Corps recruiting headquarters may hold the answer. As the months went on, newspaper articles started to migrate to the story we hear today. Some gave credit to German pilots, some to German prisoners, but the ending remained the same. But regardless of the origin of the nickname, this takes away nothing from the Marines' accomplishments at Bella Wood. They succeeded against forces that devastated their allies. The Marines didn't need a nickname. That ferocity was still there. And the Battle of Bella Wood proved to the world that the small United States Marine Corps could stop armies. Thanks for listening. Next week, we'll head to Sassons. Welcome to this week's book recommendation. This week's audiobook is Give Me Tomorrow, The Korean War's Greatest Untold Story, The Epic Stand of the Marines of George Company, written by Patrick K. O'Donnell. This book is about the Marines of George Company, also known as Bloody George. The Korean War is known as a forgotten war, and the Marines who fought during the Chosen Reservoir rarely get the recognition for their sacrifice. I have a lot of respect for this author. Although he was never a Marine, he fought shoulder to shoulder with 3-1 in Fallujah as a war correspondent. He gets the intricacies of Marines, and his book delivers the struggles they went through in fantastic detail. Visit audibletrial.com slash marinehistory to download this audiobook for free and receive a free 30-day trial. But don't feel obligated to select my recommendation. This free audiobook applies to any of the thousands of Audible choices. And whether you decide to continue your membership, this book is yours to keep, forever. Visit audibletrial.com slash marinehistory for a free audiobook and a free 30-day trial. If you like what you're hearing, check out historyofthemarinecorps.com. Here you can subscribe to our newsletter, find out more information about each show, and look at references used for each episode. We're also on Facebook and Twitter at Marine History, and on Instagram at History of the Marines. If you're enjoying the podcast, tell a friend. We count on listeners like you to share, and any help would be greatly appreciated. If you don't like what you hear, please contact us through historyofthemarinecorps.com and let us know why. I'm always looking for ways to improve. Thanks for listening, and Semper Fi.